The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by investing expert, Marios. Marios specializes in a part of the stock market that the industry hates and doesn't want to talk about. It's not discussed in the finance industry, but his mantra is invest where they can't or won't. Marios, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Curtis. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I uh, I am what you would call a full-time, full-time microcap investor. I make a living mostly from investing my own money. I do have a service where I have a website called microcapexplosions.com where people become members to my website and I share my research and my ideas with them. But most of my money I make uh, through investing in in a sector, like you said, that is ignored and hated by the industry. So therefore, I don't have a lot of competition. I get to take my time, study the opportunities, uh, take position in these opportunities way before uh, others join the party. Well, tell us, this is a two-part question. Tell us how you got started and in, in investing and in, in discovered this part of the the stock market that the industry hates and ignores and why do they hate it and ignore it? Okay. So I was always interested in, in money, in investing. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a cashier because I saw cashiers were counting money. So it was always with me. And when I was in college, I majored in finance, I was very interested in investing and but originally I went into real estate uh, at the time that I was graduating college, the poor dad, rich dad books became popular and that kind of steered me towards real estate. And I became a real estate appraiser, both on the residential and commercial side. And then I did a little bit of brokerage on the commercial side. And then when, but at the same time, I was reading and studying about investing in stock market and investing in businesses. So I read books like anything that has to do with Warren Buffett. And I guess the, the area that I discovered, I, I think it must have started with Buffett because one time at a Berkshire Hathaway meeting, somebody asked him what he would do if he was uh, graduating from college and only had $10,000 to his name. He said that he would go into obscure places. He would invest in small companies because this is where uh, the probability of mispricing is the greatest. And this is where 
the financial industry ignores and doesn't go. Uh, so that takes me to the second part of your question, which is why do they ignore it? Well, uh, in the investment industry, you have really two main players. You have retail investors and you have institutional investors. Retail investors, what do they focus on? They focus on what's more, most popular. So they focus on Tesla, AMC, that's what they chase. GameStop, Bitcoin, that's, that's where their mind is. So, so they're out of the picture. Uh, institutional investors, uh, they are in the game of gathering assets under management and making money from big assets that they manage, small percentage to one or 2%. And so because they are gathering assets, uh, they, they manage large sums of money, billions of dollars. And if you're managing billions of dollars, you're not going to go and try to look for small companies to benefit from small mispricing. You have to go after the big wells. You have to go after the big companies. So you go into the game where everybody else is playing. Uh, so they're out of the picture. So here I am with smaller amounts of money. I can go into these smaller exchanges because the industry is not structured in a way that they can take advantage of those opportunities. And on top of it, uh, they can structurally not go into these places. On top of it, they also negatively talk about the space. Penny stocks, risky, don't touch it. So they keep others from entering that industry. And to be fair, I would say, yeah, there are a lot of companies out there in the smaller space that I wouldn't touch myself either. I would say 80 to 90% of the companies that exist in that space are too risky that they shouldn't be there there they don't have any business being there but i'm not focusing on that i'm focusing on the 10 to 20 percent of companies that are smaller but they are real they are real they are they provide real services real products they solve real solutions they they have real revenues real clients and they might be on the way to becoming big bigger in the future and graduating from these smaller exchanges into the well-known exchanges like NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. And if you can find them uh, before they become popular, that's where uh, you know in interesting and incredible returns can change people's lives. Is that what you call microcap investing? That's right. So microcap investing is when you talk about uh, the value, uh, the publicly traded companies have a, what's called a market cap. So you take all the shares that are available, all the shares that are in existence, and you multiply it times the stock price, that gives you the value of the company in total. So that's your market cap. And if the market cap of a company is below a certain level, and different people have different definitions. Let's say below $100 million, they are called microcap companies simply because of their size. Why are so many people unaware of microcap investing? Well, mostly because they don't hear about it. The, the financial media doesn't talk about it. The financial advisors don't talk about it because of the same reasons that institutions don't touch it. When you have, in order for you to make money as an investment advisor or a broker, you have to have 
you have to have a large number of clients. So you have to, again, you're in the business of acquiring assets under management. You're not going to make a lot of money or support your family if all you're managing is a million dollars worth of assets. You can only make $10,000 a year on something like that. So, so in order for you to be successful, you have to be managing 10, 10 million north, 100 million, billion. And that means you have, you have hundreds or thousands of clients that you have to take care of. It's not in your best interest to go and look for some small company where you can only maybe put uh, 20 of your clients into it. No, you're going you're gonna to look for opportunities that are bigger where you can put all of your clients into so you know, structurally, you're going to stay away from that sector. Speaking of opportunities, where would you advise a person to go to find those smaller opportunities? Like, for example, the opportunities that show up on the 20th page of the newspaper, but they're headed to the first page. Well, I would say you, you have to, you have, as an individual, you have to be an independent thinker. You have to be an individual that goes out goes out on the 20 page of the newspaper and, and look for trends, look for opportunities instead of waiting for them to be delivered to you. Because anything that's delivered to you, well, it's probably already very well known and there's not that much left on the bone. Tell us about some of your most successful investments and some of your most unsuccessful investments. And one of my most recent success was a company called Oracle, which I discovered in 2017. It was a company that was involved in an ownership of a copper, copper project in Mexico. So if you look around the world, what's happening right now, uh, we are transitioning into more of a electrified world. Uh, we're replacing our cars from gas powered or gasoline powered cars into becoming more electric. Uh, and also the third world countries are becoming more, more developed, which means uh, more copper. And uh, electric cars take four times as much copper as regular cars. So the demand for copper going forward is, is on the right trajectory but the supply of copper isn't so. There aren't that many good projects out there for the mining companies in order to satisfy the demand. So the, the company that I just mentioned, Oracle, they uh, were involved in a copper project, but this, the story was very unique because that particular property is called Santa Tomas in the year of 2000, it was sold uh, from a, a Mexican citizen to a crook. And that crook bought the property and never paid for the property. So the, the Mexican citizen was trying to get the property back for the non-payment, but didn't have the money for the lawyers. So this company called Oracle came in and said, we're going to pay you for the lawyers. We're going to hire the lawyers. We're going to get your property back. But in return, we will earn 50% interest in the property. And it took them about 10 years, 10 years to win the legals. And uh, the property was not some, some kind of dinky property that nobody knew about. It was a major, major copper deposit that was even 
talked about in the geological books for students that studied geology. So it was studied, it was, we knew, we knew that there was copper there and it was just a matter of winning the legal battle and registering the property under the correct name. And so when I discovered it, they were just won the legal battle in one of the jurisdictions because it was in three different jurisdictions, uh, Bahamas, US and Mexico. They won in Bahamas, but uh, more legal work had to be done to get the property correctly registered in Mexico. And so I discovered it and nobody was paying attention to the legal situation of how it was progressing. And I was buying the legal documents from the courthouse, so I knew how it was progressing, and I knew that they were going to succeed in registering everything. And I bought a big, significant stake in it, and of course, it turned out to be correct. When I was buying it, the stock was at four cents, and recently it reached as high as four dollars. So it was almost like a hundred times my money. Um, on a situation where nobody was paying attention to, nobody wanted to do the work, but the opportunity was real. Uh, so that was an example of a success story. A, an example of an unsuccess story was I had a period, I seriously started investing in 2009 and I was doing very well until 2012. And that's when I got involved in the worst sector of the business world, uh, gold and silver mining companies. And from, from that period between 2012 to 2016, I have seen the most egregious mistakes and mess ups that I, I think any human being could possibly see. So I lost a lot of money during the time. I lost two businesses because I used to manage money. So I lost that business because of that. I also had a newsletter. I lost the newsletter because of this period. So the lesson from this was when you are getting involved in any sort of opportunities, uh, focus on assets that are good and focuses, focus on businesses that are good also. And don't focus on the businesses that are terrible, no matter how cheap they are. For somebody who wants to jump into the type of investing that you're doing, what kind of companies would you advise them to look for and what would you advise them to do to make sure that, that they do their proper research so they don't get into a, an unsuccessful story like you just discussed? I would first uh, suggest them to learn, learn about businesses. Not, notice that I didn't say learn about the stock market. I said learn about businesses, learn about the philosophy that Warren Buffett teaches value investing. But most importantly, uh, study the businesses, study what makes businesses succeed or fail, study what, what represents a good business, average business, study that. And once you understand and you have a good handle on that, then you can go out into all kinds of areas uh, looking for opportunities. But without that knowledge, stay away. Stay away from microcap or small companies because you're not going to have the knowledge to be able to tell which opportunity is good or bad. And the CEOs of, of all of these companies are very good at selling you the Kool-Aid. So prepare yourself, study the businesses, and then you can go out and, uh, and take a road like that. 
Talk a little bit about small cap investing and how is that different than micro cap investing, if it is different? Well, the small, small cap versus micro cap, it's just a matter of the size. So micro caps might be considered companies that are less than $100 million worth of value and small caps might be from 100 million to maybe 500 million. And again, those definitions are depending on who you ask. But the, the successful investing is pretty much the same, no matter what the size is. If, if you choose the right business, if you don't overpay for it, you're going to be okay. But the reason why I, I, I focus on micro caps is simply because I don't have much competition in that space. If, if there was no competitions in small caps or mid caps or large caps, I would be more than happy to be in that space. But if I get a choice, I would, I would prefer to go into play a game that is very easy to win. Do you have any advice that you would like to give on making your own products and book publishing? Well, I think that uh, for me, as you know, I published about 10 books on investing and I did, I did start various different products to sell. I produced uh, instructional videos, DVDs. Um, well, now they're not DVDs, but they used to be D DVDs. Um, I had some other products that I produced in the past too. I think uh, producing products is a great way to learn about businesses because I see too many people out there going out there and investing in businesses, having opinions, positive or negative, about those businesses, but they never themselves did anything. Uh, so it's hard for them to relate. I am a much better investor and I am much less critical of companies because I myself started products, tried to market them, tried to get clients for them and, and grow revenues. I am much better investor because of that, but also I'm much less critical because I know the difficulties and the problems that you can encounter when you're trying to develop a product and sell the product. Uh, so yeah, I would strongly encourage people to, to try to do things on your own. And also sometimes, sometimes when you, uh, you see, when you have a lot of money um, to invest, it's, uh, it's easy to make money when you have money. But when you don't have the money, maybe the best route is to start something, sell a product, because your the, the, the return on your efforts could be better by doing a product versus investing in a public company through a stock ownership or anything else. Well, tell us about your investing books. Tell us, kind of give us a brief overview of each one of them and where they can be purchased? Well, most of my books, you can just type in my name and you will, they will, you will be taken to Amazon and that's where I sell them. My uh, publishing journey kind of started in 2009 when I very much heavily entered the stock market 
And it started with a book called Why Are We So Clueless About the Stock Market? That's the title, which was basically a very basic way of explaining of what stock market investing all, is all about. And I noticed that it was a very nice feeling to be able to educate people, get feedback of how it helped their life, but also financially, it was it was somewhat rewarding to me to be able to uh, create a passive passive income. Uh, I was never I never wrote books that could appeal to the general public, but they they were more more like a niche, but even though they were a niche, they, they still provided me with a source of income. And so then I just kept adding on and on more books over the years. And I think now I'm up to like 10. And some of them do better than others, because some of them simply attract more readers than others. But overall, when you put them in a portfolio, they uh, they pay my mortgage, they pay my bills. And I don't have to do much to generate that income because once your books are out there and are selling, Amazon just kind of recommends them. And it's just every month I get a steady paycheck. And so, so let's say, I would say, I don't make a lot from the books, but at some point before I had money, it was, it was a very good source of income. And if I can pay a mortgage and some of my bills, most people can't say that they, they could do this while sleeping. Uh, and to, to write them, all it took me is some effort. I didn't have to have inheritance. I didn't have to put up any money. I just had to put up my time. And at that time that I did that, it was a very good use of my time. Are there any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? I'm not I'm not in the process of writing more more books at this point. I am more focused on running uh, running my investments and you see another thing with microcap companies is that you can get personally involved with them. So for example, uh, the group that I have microcap explosions, we have about 300 members and when we get involved in buying a stock of a microcap company, sometimes, sometimes those companies might need money, raise money for maybe they want to make an acquisition, or maybe they want to release a new product, or maybe they have a good product and they just want to uh, raise money to market the product to increase sales in the future. So we might come together as a group and inject money into the company and get involved with them more like on, on an active basis versus just being a passive shareholders. So I have um, a few companies like this that I am heavily involved from that point of view, raising the money, but also creating awareness, whether it's through my YouTube channel or through microcap explosions. Um, so that, that's really mostly what I do. The, I would say the, this is the best time for me at this point to spend my time. Okay, so go ahead and throw out your full contact information. How can people connect with you? Website, social media links, any kind of contact information you want to put out? The best way is to visit microcapexplosions.com. And once you're on the website, 
you will see a link to my YouTube channel, a link to my books, and a link to my... Uh, and, and you can also download a free book uh, on that website. You have any final thoughts to close it out? Oh, thank you very much for, uh, for the interview. And I hope this was useful for your listeners. Absolutely. I definitely believe it will be. Listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share to as many people as possible, especially those that are interested in investing. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Marius, thank you so much for joining me today and for all your helpful wisdom and advice. Thank you very much. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.